Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 77 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today I'm interviewing Dr. Philip Ovadia, and he is a cardiothoracic surgeon. Now, when I was recording with him, I actually said, you're our first cardiologist on the podcast, but he's not a cardiologist. He's a cardiothoracic surgeon. So apologies for that, Dr. Philip. Now, since recording with him, I have purchased the book, Stay Off My Operating Table, and I bought it on Audible and I was listening to it. And in the book, he said he's quite happy to do himself out of a job. I suspect that's not going to happen anytime soon. I also know a few people who could do with either listening to this podcast or reading stroke listening to the book. And again, that's probably not going to happen. But imagine the difference we could make if we could get people to start implementing some of these metabolic health improvements in their life. We have been getting some great comments on social media and offline. So people have been speaking to about the podcast. And I thought it'd be really good if we could actually get some ratings and some reviews on the podcast apps. So I thought maybe you could take a moment right now to go to the your podcast app and just find Fabulously Keto and rate. You can rate it just by tapping. And if you want to pause this for a moment and write a review, I know you're dying to get to Dr. Phillips' interview, but maybe just write a review because we need to get those reviews up so that more people can find this podcast And those of you that write a review, I'm going to read it out at the top of the show. So thank you for that. And we really appreciate your listening and helping us. So before I start telling you about Dr. Philip, I'm going to tell you that I speak Spanish. And so Dr. Ovadia's name looks very Spanish and I would say Ovadia. So if I lapse into Ovadia, then bear with me. It's just my natural way of saying it that is coming out. Uh, So I'm going to really make an effort to say Ovadia. After growing up in New York, Dr. Philip Ovadia graduated from the Accelerated Pre-Med Med Program at the Pennsylvania State University and Jefferson Medical College, now Sydney Kimmel School of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University, He then went on to complete a residency in general surgery at the University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey, Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, and a fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery at Tufts New England Medical School. Dr. Ovadia has practiced cardiothoracic surgery in Beaver, Pennsylvania and Clearwater, Florida. In 2020, he established Ovadia Cardiothoracic Surgery and now works as an independent contractor cardiothoracic surgeon in various locations throughout the United States. In an effort to overcome his lifelong struggle with obesity, Dr. Ovadia adopted a low-carbohydrate focused way of eating in 2015. He has maintained a weight loss of approximately 100 pounds and since March 2019 has adopted a carnivorous way of eating. He has extensively researched the health benefits of low carb with a focus on heart health through many hours of reading the medical literature, 
books and listening to podcasts, as well as personal discussions with many of the physician leaders and citizen scientists involved in the low-carb movement. In his recent book, Stay Off My Operating Table, Dr. Ovedia discusses the principles of optimising metabolic health to prevent heart disease and other chronic diseases. Dr. Ovedia has also established Ovedia Heart Health, a telehealth practice that focuses on the prevention and treatment of metabolic and heart disease, utilising lifestyle and dietary modification. He incorporates his hands-on clinical experience with heart disease and the personal insights he has gained in his own struggle with obesity and poor metabolic health. Dr. Ovedia is board certified in cardiothoracic surgery and general surgery. He is a founding member of the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. He makes frequent podcast appearances discussing the role of metabolic health in the prevention of heart disease, as well as the importance of health sovereignty. Dr. Ovedia Dr. Ovedia currently lives in Florida with his wonderful wife and two amazing daughters. Welcome, Dr. Philip, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with you. With a, oh, I get my teeth in. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you, Jackie. Great to be here with you. And you're our first cardiologist. So tell us, where in the world are you? Yeah, so I am in uh, Florida, uh, in the uh, Tampa, Florida area. And as you mentioned, uh, I am a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon. So I do uh, open heart surgery. Uh, but uh, as we'll get into, I am now more interested in helping people to learn how to stay off of my operating table uh, by preventing heart disease and many of the other chronic diseases that plague our society today. Yeah, there are a few, I know that there are a few um, cardiologists in the low carb keto world, but there's still not enough of you, are there? No, you know, uh, I actually was uh, attended one of the low carb medical conferences this past weekend uh, over here in Florida. Uh, and I was, you know, there were a couple of cardiologists there. Uh, but, you know, seeing how, you know, metabolic health, what we're going to talk about, um, you know, is the primary determinant of heart disease, probably the biggest risk factor for heart disease. It is unfortunate that uh, we haven't seen it really take hold in the heart health community as I think it should. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But first of all, explain to our listeners how you got into low carb, what led you there? And was it a personal journey or just um, through work? Yeah, so um, like many, you know, physicians that I interact with in the low carb space, it did start uh, on the personal level. Uh, my entire life, I was overweight, became progressively more obese, uh, you know, as I went through college and medical school, and the early part of my career. And I had tried all of the typical things, all of the things that I was taught in school, you mm-hmm. know, eat less, move more, eat a low fat diet, the US, you know, food pyramid. Yeah. And, you know, as, as with most people that wasn't working, uh, I had lost a lot of weight a number of times, but would always gain it back and more. And thankfully, uh, it was actually at a medical conference uh, about six years ago. Uh, Gary Tobbs was the uh, invited guest lecturer. And that was the first time I really heard the concepts of the types of food that we eat might be more important than the amount of food that we eat. And specifically, you know, the hormonal influences of sugar and carbohydrates. And so I uh, went on a low carbohydrate, uh, you know, eating plan, I have lost and now maintained for over five years, uh, over 100 pounds, I reversed my pre diabetes. And importantly, you know, along the way, I came to realize how important metabolic health was to the disease that I deal with every day heart disease. Yeah. So how do you see that? interlinking the metabolic disease with heart disease, because it's not a conventional thought, is it? Right. You know, the conventional thinking around heart disease is that, you know, cholesterol, specifically LDL cholesterol, is the primary determinant of heart disease. But when you actually 
go and you look at the data, uh, you look at the studies that have been done. Uh, yes, there is some risk associated uh, with having an elevated LDL cholesterol level. It puts you at about a 1.4, you know, times the amount of risk as someone who has a normal or low LDL cholesterol, according to the studies. However, when you look at those same studies, you see that what we call insulin resistance or poor metabolic health has about a six to 10 X risk of heart disease associated with it. So yeah. it is a much bigger risk factor. And I really believe that, you know, where we have failed uh, and realize that we are failing in this battle because heart disease has been the number one killer worldwide now for, you know, over 30 years. And we're really not making a meaningful impact on that. And I think the reason that we are failing is because we are so focused on cholesterol and we are ignoring the importance of metabolic health. Yeah. And it just, it just seems so frustrating that people are not willing to even take a look at it and think, yeah, these people might be right. Let me see. Or it, they just seem to be so dogmatic in protecting what they thought is right or what they say is right. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it, it, we've basically, you know, this has become so ingrained uh, and this is just accepted, you know, without question. And then there's so much, you know, kind of the force behind it, you know, our whole, uh, you know, pharmaceutical industry, the food industry, everything has gotten, you know, behind this concept of, you know, managing cholesterol and low fat foods and, and, you know, medications and treatments to lower cholesterol, uh, that, you know, it's just, it's hard to get that system, you know, to change and, and realize that most of the doctors practicing today, myself included, uh, you know, for the entirety of their medical careers and all of their medical education, that is all of that, that we have heard, you know, yeah. that is all that we have been told. And so, yes, it takes a lot to step back and say, maybe we were wrong about this. You know, maybe there's some other things that we should be looking at. And, you know, the other reality is that those two thoughts, you know, are not really exclusively of each other. You know, it's probably some sort of interaction between, you know, metabolic health and insulin resistance and cholesterol. I, I don't say that cholesterol has no part in the process of heart disease. I just don't think it's the major part and therefore it shouldn't be our primary focus. Yeah. So we all know people that have I'm sure we all know people that have had a heart attack and they just seem to me so scared to make a change that is not, they're not being told by their medical care provider, whether that be their doctor or their cardiologist. How do we, how do we start to make inroads to these people? Because they have, they should be scared in a way, shouldn't they? Because what they're being told and what they're doing is not necessarily the right thing, but how can we influence them and guide them to try something different? Well, you know, I think ultimately one of the things I talk about is that people need to be more invested in their, in their health. Uh, they need to be in charge of their health. Uh, you shouldn't be, you know, blindly uh, kind of, you know, outsourcing your health to, you know, other people, whether that's healthcare professionals, the healthcare system as a whole, the government, um, you know, when we look at the results that we are getting from doing that, um, which is, you know, what most people do, uh, I would say that those results are not very good. You know, we have increasingly worsening problems with, um, you know, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, all of these things remain very common, despite following that advice uh, that, you know, we've been getting, like I said, now for basically 40 years, you know, we've been talking about the same issues, we've been focused on the same problems, um, and we are not seeing the results that you would expect to see from that. So yeah. I think that should get people to start questioning things more. And, you know, if you've been following your doctor's advice, and you've been taking your medications, and you've been, you know, eating in a way they tell you to eat, and you still end up getting, you know, a heart attack, 
uh, or heart disease, the answer shouldn't be, well, just do more of that. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, we see that too much in society around, you know, not only heart disease, but other health issues that, you know, what we're told should work doesn't work. And then the answer is, well, you just got to do more of that. Uh, and uh, rare, rarely is that the case. Yeah, the, the, the quote attributed to Einstein was insanity is doing the same things and expecting a different result. And that's what we seem to be doing over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. So how can I, I get, cause I'm, I'm a health coach. I'm focused on primal and keto and I really struggle because people don't seem to want to invest in their health. It's only when things start going wrong that they, and they're not getting the results from the medical profession that they might come searching for someone like me. Why do you think that is? Is that, is that just nature? You know, I think it is partially uh, nature, but I also think it's part of the kind of messaging that comes from the system. Uh, because, you know, oftentimes the expectation these days is that you're going to get unhealthy as you get older. Uh, you know, we look around in our society, the statistics here in the United States, and they're not much different, uh, you know, in, in most of the uh, developed world, is that by the time someone is 50 years old, uh, it's very likely that they are going to be on multiple medications, not just one medication. Uh, so you look all around you and everyone around you is on these medications and, you know, is uh, kind of getting the typical things that start to, you know, show up as we get older. And your only expectation is that, you know, that's normal. That's what's going to happen to me too. Yeah. The reality is, is that, you know, it wasn't that long ago uh, that people lived a good long life um, without these chronic problems showing up. And, you know, they lived nearly as long, maybe longer than we're actually living today, you know, when you act, when you look at the statistics. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they didn't have all these chronic problems. Uh, so we should be asking those big questions about why that is. And of course, there are a number of things that you can point to, but, you know, what we're eating becomes a very obvious, uh, you know, cause, cause of that or contributor to that. And we should be asking more questions and people should be expecting to remain healthy for most of their life. They should be demanding that again from their physicians, from the medical system. Uh, but most people, most people don't, they just kind of accept, you know, everyone else is around me is sick. So I guess I, I need to be sick as well. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely see that, that people don't expect it. In fact, I was at a family uh, evening with some family that we haven't seen for over two years because of COVID and the conversation came up. And then my um, my mum's cousin, who's in his 80s, said to me, aren't you on any medication? And I said, no. And he was really dumbfounded as if that is really unusual. And I just thought, are all my cousins who are the same age as me, are they all on medication? Maybe they are. But I just, it just came across as really strange because I must be the odd one out. So maybe I'm doing something right. Well, and that, that's kind of the, you know, the second part of that is that, you know, people need to be curious enough to when they come, you know, in contact with someone like yourself, say, well, why is that, you know? And again, unfortunately, a lot of people will just say, oh, well, she must have good genetics. You know, she she just got lucky uh, and they're not willing to ask those questions as to, you know, what might you be doing that's contributing to that? Yeah. And because the answer is it takes some work and some effort to make the changes. And I think a lot of people nowadays I've got used to, I'll oh, just take a pill. It's not worth the effort. But that's a sad place, isn't it? Yeah, it is a sad place. And like I said, you know, what I ultimately try to do um, is give people hope, you know, is to help them to understand that, yes, you can be healthy, you can be vibrant, you know, well into your older age, and you can, you know, live your life in a way that is enjoyable. Uh, you can eat great foods. Uh, it just that, you know, 
they may not be the easiest food sometime or the thing that is most readily available all around us uh, because quite frankly we have now just surrounded ourselves with food that is not helping our health at all yeah and most of it isn't food is it it's not real food Correct, correct. You know, there's a term that I use uh, in the book and, uh, you know, uh, for calling this stuff near food objects. Uh, and that's really true. It's not food. It's just some created, you know, uh, processed chemicals uh, that are basically looking to mimic the effects of food. Uh, but real food is what nourishes us, is what we evolved on as humans. And that is what supports our health. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. So the book is called Stay Off My Operating Table. And it, you know, the first part of the book, I kind of go through a lot of what we've been talking about in more detail, how we got here as a system. I talk about 12 myths that, you know, both doctors and patients and people, you know, come to accept, uh, but aren't true uh, in everyday life. And then I get into, you know, what is metabolic health? How do we measure it? And ultimately, how do we improve it by focusing on, you know, the types of food that we're eating, other lifestyle issues. And at the end of the book, um, you know, one thing that's a little unique is that I don't give you my diet plan. I don't have the Dr. Ovedia 28 day diet plan and go buy this and, and that. Yeah. Uh, what I do do is I examine many of the popular eating strategies of the day. Uh, I go through both the vegan and the carnivore diet. I go through keto and low carb and Mediterranean. And I talk about, you know, what is metabolically healthy about each one of them yep. and what might not be metabolically healthy about each one of them. And ultimately, I hope I set up a framework for people to find what works for them yeah. and understand again, there is no one right answer for everyone, you know? No. Um, and, but there is, you know, sort of a framework that everyone should be working within to find what works for you. And if you try something and it's not working, try the next thing until you find what works for you, because there is something that's going to work well for everyone. You just have to figure out what that something is for each one of you. Yeah. So I don't know if it's appropriate, but could you explain a little bit about the framework? Uh, yeah, so I lay out seven principles of metabolic health. Um, the first one is, you know, kind of a mindset and overall, you know, uh, overarching principle of you need to look at your health as a system, not as a goal. And what I'm really trying to get people to realize is that we can't be focused on these short term goals. Um, you know, if you just say, I want to lose 20 pounds. Um, that doesn't really set you up for the long-term lifelong success that we're looking at. Um, you know, what I want people to start saying is I want to be healthy. I want to be metabolically healthy, and I'm going to find the habits that support that. Hmm. Uh, and I think that that is a more, you know, sustainable, more successful way to be thinking about this. Uh, the second principle is just eat whole real food. And when people say, you know, what do I eat? You know, that's what it comes down to. My simple rule for people is eat the things that grow in the ground and then eat the things that eat the things, things that, that grow, grow in the ground. So yeah. it's basically your plants and your animals. And, you know, as I said, there's variation there. You know, you can be vegan, you can be carnivore, you can be lots of things in between. But if you're focused on eating whole real food, it's going to better support your health than all of this processed junk that we're surrounded by. Yeah, don't eat things that have got a label on them. Exactly. Okay. So when somebody ends up on your operating table, I guess at that point, you've just got to deal with what's in front of you. But how do you then support them afterwards? Because conventional treatment wouldn't probably be the same as yours. So what yeah. do you do there? Yes, exactly. So, you know, what... I, what we know, you know, what I've seen over and over in my career uh, is that, you know, once someone has heart disease and you, you know, you deal with the disease that's in front of you, you know, if there are blockages in the blood vessels that are significant, we got to get better blood flow to those areas of the heart. So sometimes that involves procedures and surgery. 
Um, but we know that those people are at very high risk for it happening again, mm. uh, despite, you know, what would be the kind of standard, you know, treatments of the day, the medications that go along with it and all of that. So what I now do is use that as, a, as an opportunity to, you know, step back with the patient, we get them through the, you know, the acute problem. Um, and then we say, okay, let's look at what led us here. And what can we do to now, you know, prevent it from happening again, to minimize the damage, or maybe even undo some of the damage that was done. Uh, and, you know, again, that focuses on metabolic health, diet, lifestyle, all of these things need to come into play uh, so that this doesn't become the chronic debilitating lifelong problem that is the usual course of these things. Yeah. And this is this becomes especially important because what I see as a heart surgeon is we are seeing younger and younger people, you know, getting afflicted with heart disease. I open the book, the, you know, the opening chapter of the book is the very unfortunate story of a young lady, uh, you know, young mother who develops a devastating form of heart disease. Um, and what I came to realize through that experience and many of the other experiences I have had is that most of the people who end up on my operating table did not need to be there in the first place. Mm. If, we were, if we were focused on, you know, metabolic health from the, the beginning, there is plenty of opportunity to intervene before it gets to the point that someone is ending up on my operating table. That's so sad. It is really sad. So if, how does somebody know that, I mean, obviously we know that if you're eating sugar and cakes and cookies and uh, high carb foods, particularly things out of packets and uh, the ones that have that bliss point that make you want to eat more. Okay. We know that somebody might be doing that, but let's say, let's take someone from, from the low carb world how can they find out if they they're on a path to heart disease what steps can they take sure thing so you know the the first thing that i um you know encourage people to do is understand you know where your metabolic health markers are and there are five basic markers of metabolic health that i think everyone needs to know and should be the starting point for answering that question. The first marker, uh, and this is all outlined in the book, uh, is your waist circumference. So just take the tape measure, go uh, you know just above the level of your belly button. And if you are a man, uh, you want that to be under 40 inches. And uh, if you are a woman, you want it to be under 35 inches. The next thing we look at is your blood pressure. And without using medication, you want your blood pressure to be less than 130 over 85. So the top number, the systolic needs to be less than 130. The bottom number needs to be less than 85. And again, that is without the use of medication. If you have high blood pressure, that is an indicator that you are not metabolically healthy. Uh, we then look at some real basic blood work. Uh, you want to look at your fasting blood glucose level. So the amount of sugar that's in your blood, uh, if you haven't uh, eaten for, you know, about eight hours, you want that to be less than uh, 100 milligrams per deciliter here in the US. Uh, I believe that translates to about five millimole five, uh, in the UK. Five, six, I think. Five point like six. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that needs to be without the use of medication. If you already have type two diabetes, you are not metabolically healthy. Uh, and then finally, we look at cholesterol numbers. And interestingly, no LDL. People, no LDL. We don't look at that. We look at the other two cholesterol numbers, your HDL cholesterol. Uh, that's nicknamed good cholesterol. You want more of that. Yeah. Uh, and that's a concept that's hard for people to understand. Uh, for uh, men, you want that to be over 40 milligrams per deciliter. Uh, for women, you want it to be over 50. Uh, and again, uh, we can do the uh, translation maybe in the show notes for the UK. Uh, and then finally, we look at your triglyceride level. And you want that to be under 150 milligrams per deciliter. Uh, 
so just look at those five numbers, you know, go to your doctor, say, you know, I need this lab work done, take the measurement at home of your waist circumference, check your blood pressure. If three or more of those are abnormal, you actually have a medical diagnosis, what we call metabolic syndrome. And it means that you're at very high risk for developing diabetes, heart disease, many forms of cancer, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, all of these things have been associated with the metabolic syndrome. Yeah. If one or two of those are abnormal, it's a warning sign because we know that those people are likely to progress uh, to you know, having uh, metabolic syndrome. Uh, if all five are where they should be, congratulations. Um, that's unusual here in the United States. The latest data that we have is that only 12% of adults in the United States have all five measures of optimal metabolic health. Uh, yeah. But that should be everyone's goal because if we, we know if those five measures look good, your risk of all of those diseases is dramatically lowered. Yeah. So for me personally, um, four of those are in in place. And the only one that's out of range is the waist circumference. And I can't shift it, but my CAC scan was zero. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I can't seem to shift this weight around my middle. I can't yeah. seem to shift the weight. I've been plateaued for the last two years, basically. Yeah, you know, and that is a common issue. And, you know, what I tell people in that situation is, you know, okay, we know that this one measure is abnormal. And what that tells us is we need to be looking more carefully at other things. So like you mentioned, getting a CAC scan to actually see if we have heart disease or not. Uh, there's more advanced blood work that we can be looking at, things like your insulin level and measures of insulin resistance. Uh, we can be looking at the types of cholesterol particles, the type of lipid particles that you have in your bloodstream. Uh, all of these things, you know, come into play, uh, but that's sort of the more advanced thing, you know, and I realize that not everyone, uh, you know, can do that all the time. Uh, so I just want people to start with the basics. If there's a warning sign within those basics, if a couple of them or three of them are abnormal, that should prompt you to look into it more and find a practitioner, a physician or some other healthcare practitioner that understands this, understands what metabolic health is and can help you start to improve it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I've still got some way to improve. I, my insulin levels last August was 4.11. So that's fairly good. It could yeah, be better, I guess. Pretty good. Yeah. And I think my insulin resistance was one and it would yeah. have been 1.4 the year before. So it's, it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like you have done, you know, you looked into it more, you're focused on it, you're doing the things, you know, that will help improve and support your metabolic health. And, you know, ultimately, that's what we can do, you know, depending on when you start this, where you are in your journey, Yes, there may be some damage that we just can't undo, uh, but we can stop more damage from occurring no matter where you are. You know, if you've already been on my operating table or someone else's operating table, that doesn't mean that it's too late to start. Um, as I said, we, we want to, you know, prevent more damage from occurring. And oftentimes when we do these things, we can undo some of the damage that's already been done. Yeah. I just figure that, you know, probably 50, 54 years, not quite 54 years, let's say 50 years, I was doing the damage. So I probably shouldn't expect to undo it in four. Exactly. It may just be a matter of giving it more time. Um, and, and sometimes that's the case as well. Like you said, you know, these, th these habits that we've had for our entire life, uh, you know, it, we're not going to be able to undo things overnight. Yeah. Uh, but over the long run, we're going to end up much better if we're focused on metabolic health and focused on, you know, the improvements uh, rather than continuing to do the damage with our old uh, habits. So we know that the probably the two biggest killers in the world at the moment are not COVID, but 
heart disease and type 2 diabetes. How do we shift that? Well, so, you know, that's what's most interesting about this, because, you know, obviously my focus, you know, professionally is on heart disease. Uh, but what I came to realize was so powerful about metabolic health is that it really um, is a contributor to most of the major causes of, of death, you know, and disease uh, worldwide. Uh, so, you know, by focusing on metabolic health, you are not only lowering your risk of heart disease, you are also lowering your risk of diabetes, you are lowering your risk of many types of cancer, you are lowering your risk of Alzheimer's disease, um, you know, uh, kidney disease, which is a common contributor to uh, death and disability worldwide, many infectious diseases, uh, you know, both viral, both COVID and non COVID. Yeah, uh, you know, again, you're putting your if you are not metabolically healthy, we know that you are putting yourself at higher risk of getting COVID and getting sick with COVID. Uh, you know, there are many controversial things around COVID, obviously. Uh, but that point is not controversial. We had that data early on, you know, when you looked at the early patients who were getting sick in, in China, in Italy, you know, in New York, where it first hit, um, we knew that these people were you know, older, overweight, all of these things that associate with not being metabolically healthy. Yeah. We know that the higher your blood sugar level was when you got to the hospital, the worse the prognosis was. Uh, so, you know, if nothing else, you know, COVID should have been a wake up call about all of this. And I think the biggest failing that we've had in dealing with COVID is that we haven't had that discussion around metabolic health and how it could have been used to better manage uh, the pandemic. Yeah, they seem to be so tunnel visioned into thinking this is the way to go that they're not even willing to look at the underlying causes because, like you said, we know that those with comorbidities are the ones that are suffering the worst. Well, perhaps we should be looking at the comorbidities and, and dealing with those. And we exactly. know, I don't know what it's like in America, but I think in the UK, over 600,000 people die from diabetes complications every year. That's a lot more than COVID deaths that we've had. So why aren't we focusing on that? Yeah. And we know, we, we know why, I guess, but it just seems so frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating. And especially knowing that, you know, what's going to help one is going to help the other, um, you know, it becomes increasingly frustrating. But, you know, on the other hand, I am encouraged because I do see, you know, that growing community that is focusing on this. Yeah. Um, you know, I see uh, both the, you know, the healthcare professionals, um, more and more of them coming to understand this. And, you know, people more and more coming to understand this. Uh, so it, it's, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, but I think, you know, this kind of movement is going to, you know, grow from the ground up. Uh, and more and more people are going to start paying attention to this. Those people are going to be demanding that their physicians pay attention to this, uh, or they're going to be finding other physicians. And so I think ultimately, you know, all of that is going to lead us to a better place, but there is a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, so you obviously have went low carb yourself. What about your family? Did they join you on the journey or is it just you in your house? Yeah, no, uh, my entire family, you know, is, is, on the low carb spectrum, I guess we could say uh, they may not be uh, as severe as I am, but they didn't need to be as well. They didn't have the challenges that I had. Yeah. Uh, but my wife certainly maintains a low carb diet. Uh, my kids, uh, you know, recognize it. Uh, they uh, understand it. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times they're around poor food choices. Uh, they go to the birthday parties and quite frankly, some of the food that they get served at school is not great. Uh, but, you know, they understand it. They try and minimize where they can. Uh, you know, when we go out to eat, they'll order their hamburgers without the bun, uh, you know, and they'll, uh, and they'll pick some of the, you know, uh, 
steaks and meats and you know vegetables and and more of the whole food options uh and you know that's again that's what i want people to understand you know you can live your life uh by doing this you know i travel a lot i eat out a lot at restaurants uh and i have you know a busy you know life i have my heart surgery i have my other uh telemedicine practice where i help people do metabolic health so you know i i have been able to incorporate this into a very busy life uh with lots of travel and all of that stuff and everyone else can too and in the end you know when i really look at it you know i realize that my kind of life around food my thinking around food is actually a lot easier now than it was when i was eating all that unhealthy stuff uh you know i i end up eating less often i'm hungry less often uh and quite frankly you know there's always good food around me i just need to you know kind of think about it and not grab the first thing that's around me and uh you can do this very successfully yeah and sometimes it's just being a bit prepared isn't it taking something with you uh that you know you've got on hand should you need to eat and you can't find anything we traveled um it was a motorway drive um from london to manchester and we stopped at some services and i thought i'd go in and i was feeling a bit hungry i hadn't i don't think i'd bought anything with me because i wasn't expecting to eat but you know there's a supermarket there a, a chain supermarket couldn't find anything to eat that was i thought ah almonds i'll have some almonds but when i got to the packet i picked it up to keep i was standing in the queue and i thought roasted almonds i'll just look on the back full of seed oils so i just put it back so it's it is tough sometimes to find things but on the whole you can do you can usually find something to eat and as i said to one of my clients i said um hunger isn't going to kill you and she said really she was surprised that you wouldn't die of being hungry yeah that's you a- don't die of being hungry exactly you know i think one of the things that a lot of uh people come to understand through this is that you know we can fast we can go periods of time when we're not eating we're supposed to go periods of time when we're not eating you know again when you look at our evolution and our ancestral health uh you know for the vast majority of our existence as humans uh you know food wasn't always readily available we certainly weren't eating you know 6 to 8 times a day uh that the average person eats these days and you know one of the powerful things that you come to recognize as you go through this is you don't need to be you know kind of a slave to your food uh you can you know manage it well uh and yeah like you said you know sometimes you get if you're in a situation where there's no good food available the best option is just don't eat yeah. you know until there's good food available and um you know we are all for the most part walking around with plenty of stored energy uh we just don't we can't utilize it you know when we are eating you know according to kind of the usual uh way of eating and uh that's what you know uh low carbohydrate ketogenic diets do is they train your body they give your body the ability to be able to use that stored energy that stored body fat so that if there's a time when you know food isn't available um it's a good opportunity to do a little fasting and let your body burn through some of that stored energy absolutely yeah so what does a daily food day look like for you yeah so i uh am you know basically carnivore uh and i stick to eating mostly animal products uh so you know i'll typically have my first meal uh in the mid to late afternoon somewhere between you know noon and 2 o'clock on a typical day for me uh depending on my uh operating schedule and stuff and that's usually going to be uh you know about a pound of meat of some sort and some eggs uh typically and then i'll have a second meal um you know somewhere between you know maybe 6 hours later 4 to 6 hours later uh and again that's often times going to be another pound of 
some sort of animal product, uh, seafood. I eat a lot of seafood living in Florida, uh, all sorts of meat. So I do get very good variety, uh, I think, in, in what I eat. And uh, that that's usually about it for uh, for me. You know, occasionally I'll, I'll grab a handful of some, uh, you know, fresh berries if they're available in season. You know, I'll have some nuts here and there. Um, you know, but for the most part, I, I stick to a mostly carnivore diet. Uh, I've now been doing that, the carnivore part for about three years and another two to three years before that of, of other, you know, kind of low carb approaches. Um, but, uh, that's what I find works for me. Like I said, it, it keeps me, uh, I do eat when I'm hungry and I eat until I'm full, uh, ultimately. And, uh, it serves me well. It's kept my health. Uh, it's gotten me into optimal health, uh, really for the first time in my life. You know, all of my markers, uh, are, you know, what I consider to be ideal. I also have the CAC scan showing I have, you know, zero, uh, evidence of heart disease. I wear smaller clothes today than I did in high school, uh, you know, uh, 25 years ago now, uh, and I have endless energy to, you know, do everything I need to do professionally, do everything I do personally with my kids and my family. And uh, I, I feel healthy. Uh, and that's what people should expect. You should yeah. feel healthy. I say I feel better in my 50s than I did in even as far back as my teens, because I wasn't well in my teens. So teens and 20s, 30s, just you just feel so different. Yes. Yeah. So last weekend, as we're recording this, which is uh, in the third week of January, um, you were at Low Carb USA, I believe. Correct. Yep. What were you What were you presenting on there? Yeah. So uh, the talk I gave was looking at um, risk factors for heart disease, and specifically, you know, that metabolic health is the uh, you know, most significant risk factor for heart disease outside of possibly smoking, um, you know, but when you are, and uh, basically, you know, what I was going through was, you know, the science was the studies that have been done on this, and specifically comparing um, the risks associated with high cholesterol with high LDL cholesterol specifically, uh, versus the risk associated with poor metabolic health. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, poor metabolic health is clearly a much bigger risk factor for heart disease than elevated LDL cholesterol. Yeah. And going, I'm just going back to you were saying you're carnivore and you, you eat eggs. Yeah. I, I remember, um, my grandfather, so it would have been, I was in my twenties and he was saying, oh, you shouldn't eat more than one egg a day. And I think people are still stuck in that paradigm of only one egg a day or only two eggs a day. What do, what do you say to people that, that say that to you? Yeah. Again, there's really no good evidence to support that. Um, you know, it's one of those things that really has become confusing because when you look at the, the, the science, you know, it's gone back and forth so many times you hear all these headlines, um, but the actual real science uh, the good science has never been in doubt. You know, there has never been a good study that have associated eggs themselves with poor outcomes related to health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the problems come from when people start, um, you know, it, most of the nutritional research we have is, is what's called epidemiology. And you're not able to truly separate out the effects of, from one particular food. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when people eat eggs, uh, you know, they tend to eat a lot of other things with them. Here in the United States, it tends to be toast and cereal and orange juice and, and all this other stuff. Uh, and, pancakes. You know, yeah, pancakes, exactly. And the bad health gets associated with the egg. And again, um, this all starts with this concept that eating more cholesterol is going to lead your bad cholesterol levels to be higher, and that's going to then cause you to have heart disease. And both of those steps have been shown, you know, to be incorrect. Uh, The amount of cholesterol that you eat doesn't necessarily affect your blood cholesterol levels all that much. And then as we discussed, you know, having high LDL cholesterol specifically 
doesn't have that strong, um, you know, association with heart disease as we have been led to believe. Yeah. Uh, so eggs, eggs have kind of been, you know, caught in the crossfire, so to speak, uh, in this battle, uh, because they are, you know, they do contain cholesterol in them. Uh, but the reality is, is that I think eggs are one of the healthiest foods we can be eating, we should be eating. And I certainly don't limit, you know, my consumption of eggs uh, to, to one a day. Yeah. I remember recently, because um, I sometimes eat, I can eat, not not every day, but I have eaten eight eggs in one day. And I remember saying to my mom, I'd had eggs for lunch and eggs for supper. And she said, you'll get egg bound. And I said, what does that mean? Because I've heard that all my life. You can't eat too many eggs because you get egg bound. And I said to her, what does that mean? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. she, they're just, she's just parroting something that we learned from my grandma. And we don't even know what that means. Yeah, it, it really is unfortunate. You know, we have both short and long term, uh, you know, evidence that eating eggs is certainly not horrible and really beneficial. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, kind of medical papers that's out there is a case report of a gentleman who suffered severe burns uh, and his uh, recovery diet was uh, basically three dozen eggs a day. Wow. Uh, and, you know, that's obviously extreme. Uh, but, you know, uh, it was that, you know, diet was used to heal him from severe uh, burn injuries. Uh, and um, as I said, it's just one of the unfortunate, one of the many things we have gotten wrong around what we should be eating. Yeah. Uh, e eggs are, you know, one of those superfoods that we should be eating more of, in Absolutely. my opinion. Yeah. Can I just go back to something? Because we were talking about heart disease and smoking. Would you say that there is, so we know metabolic disease is a big influence. Would you say smoking is a huge influence in heart disease? Yeah, smoking certainly is a, a major risk factor for heart disease. Uh, thankfully, you know, uh, we have seen some um, decreases in that, uh, you know, the amount of people who smoke today uh, compared to, you know, 20 years ago is less. And quite frankly, that's probably where most of the, uh, you know, any gains that we have made around heart disease have been around people smoking less. Um, it really hasn't been around, you know, the use of uh, cholesterol lowering medications or eating low fat diets. Mm. Um, so, you know, certainly smoking uh, is uh, something that people should avoid. Um, and uh, I would consider that to be a major risk factor uh, for heart disease as well. And so how do you feel about the vaping craze that's going on because we're not smoke we not we I, I don't smoke but because of those come off cigarettes let's find something else you can be addicted to so vape what's your feeling on that yeah I haven't seen any evidence that it's really any better than smoking it might have slightly different uh you know risks associated with it because it's kind of different chemicals uh, and uh, has, you know, maybe a little bit of a different effect uh, on, on what it does to us. Uh, but I really, I don't think it's any safer. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't view it as a good substitute for smoking. Uh, I think that people need to stop smoking. One of the interesting things that I have seen uh, now a number of times and other, you know, physicians, other practitioners that I talk to have noticed is that when you improve your metabolic health, these addictive habits like smoking uh, seem to uh, be less appealing as well. And many mm -hmm. people, you know, uh, have, you know, started focusing on their metabolic health. And all of a sudden, you know, they're able to easily quit smoking now. Uh, and that may have to do with the brain, you know, chemistry uh, around ketones versus uh, sugar burning. Um, and, um, you know, or, or it may be other things that are coming into play there. But it is a pretty consistent thing that we are now seeing that as people improve their metabolic health, uh, that they, you know, are able to give up some of these other addictive habits that they have. Maybe more easily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's part, part of that is the mental thing because you're, 
actively looking to improve your health. Therefore, you know, smoking isn't good for you or alcohol isn't good for you. So there's that mental side of it. But there's probably also a physiological side of it being easier to do because your body is functioning so much better. Yes. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Great. And with your um, telehealth practice, do you just work with people from Florida or can you work with people all over the world? How does that work? Um, yeah. So I actually end up uh, working with people all over the world uh, in the United States. Uh, I'm licensed in about uh, 35 now of the 50 states wow. uh, and then uh, worldwide. Uh, so sometimes there are some limitations on you know things that I can and can't do uh, in places uh, internationally or in those states that I'm not licensed in. Uh, but I'm always willing to talk with people and see what we can do to help them. Uh, so uh, anyone that might be interested in that, you know, I'd encourage them to uh, reach out to me and see what we can uh, figure out to help you improve your metabolic health. Yeah. And the first step, I guess, is buy the book because wherever you are in the world, you can buy the book. Yeah, exactly. And that was the purpose of writing the book is that, you know, for, you know, geographic reasons, as well as obviously time reasons, I can't work with everyone. Uh, I'm limited in how many people I can work with, but I wanted to get this important information in the hands of as many people as possible. And I think the book is a uh, great way to uh, get that information out to people. So Dr. Philip, is there anything else that you really want to tell the listeners something that we haven't covered today? Yeah, I think the main thing that I want people to take away from this conversation is that you need to take charge of your health. You need to, you know, be you need to find those resources uh, that are going to help you to get healthy and to stay healthy. And if you're uh, around people, you know, whether those are healthcare professionals or just, you know, the the people around you are telling you that you can't be healthy don't accept that as the answer. Mm. Because there will be doctors, even doctors and GPs and primary care physicians that, that will say that there's nothing you can do, but it's not true, is it? Yes, it's not true. We all have, we can all be healthier. Uh, and, uh, you know, we should be seeking out what is going to truly make us healthy. Yeah. and And it comes down to, there is hope. There are there are always things that you can do, no matter how far down the line you are. You might not get back to perfect health, but there are still things that you can do to take control. Yes. So where can people find you? Uh, so um, you can go to uh, ifixhearts.co, and that's actually going to take you through a metabolic health assessment. Uh, those five measures that we talk about, it will take you through and, and see, you know, show you where you stand on those. Uh, and then, um, you know, after that, uh, you can certainly get the book. It's called Stay Off My Operating Table. It's on, you know, Amazon uh, worldwide. And uh, on social media, I'm most active uh, over on Twitter at iFixHearts. Okay, great. And we always finish off by asking what are your three top tips that you would give to our listeners? And it could be anyone from starting keto to somebody who's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. So uh, tip number one is to eat whole real food. Like I said, eat the things that grow in the ground and eat the things that eat the things that grow in the ground. Uh, tip number two, uh, as I said, is, you know, look at your health as a system, not as a goal. And then tip number three is find a partner, a healthcare practitioner, someone who understands this and can help you through this journey. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. And it, it just really comes, if you go with the real food, you can't really go wrong, can you? No, you really can't. That's fabulous. Thank you, Dr. Philip, for being with me today. Really appreciate your time. All right. I enjoyed it. Thank you. You know, I never tire of hearing doctors talking about low carb and metabolic health and the ways that we can improve our health rather than following the conventional medicine that we have heard for decades and they have been teaching for decades. And many of them were teaching it 
explaining it to patients without knowing what we know now. And in Dr. Phillips book, he talks more about this young lady of his that patient that he tried to save. And it was a very poignant part of the book. It's right at the beginning. And I think what makes it especially sad, and you can hear how upset he was about it, is that there are many cases like this and quite often they are preventable. We just need to be getting the right information out there. And we hear about doctors focusing on LDL and lowering your LDL with statins. But when you listen to the five markers of metabolic health, now Dr. Ovadia was talking about them. I talk about these to my clients because this is what we've learned in our studies um, with the Nutrition Network, is that the five metabolic markers do not at any point mention LDL. And as Dr. Philip said, it's not a significant risk factor. And it upsets me when I hear about low risk people taking statins to lower their cholesterol, when it has been shown that those with higher cholesterol live longer and women need higher cholesterol. And in fact, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick speaks about women should not be taking statins at all so that it's really sad when you hear people following that conventional wisdom that isn't proven to be true not true it isn't proven to be significant enough to warrant taking the additional medication and to have the side effects of taking them and I often think at back 10 years when I believed that a healthy way to live was to be vegetarian I tried it. I tried it a few times, but I I tried it for quite a long period of time. But I craved meat and and I didn't eat any protein during that time. I was living on bread and pasta and potatoes and vegetables, but no real protein. So I bought into the vegetarian propaganda that we're we were bombarded with, but now we're even more bombarded than we were 10 years ago. And I often think about my uncle and my grandma and wonder what I could have done differently if I'd have known this information then, rather than believing that being a vegetarian was the way to go. You know, maybe they wouldn't have listened, but at least I feel right now I get people rolling their eyes at me and telling me and when I mention these things and they probably think what is she talking about she doesn't know she's not a doctor but actually I would have feel better I think I would feel better now if I could have told them and then it's up to them to either listen or not listen or make the change or not make the change so we definitely need more doctors and surgeons like Dr. Philip to keep bombarding us with the messages that this is a good way to live. And it's through us and those of you that are listening to the podcast that we are going to make the difference and we are going to start influencing the younger doctors that are coming through and showing them that there is another way. And it's through this groundswell of people that are going to make that significant difference. So maybe you know someone you could share this podcast with. Who knows? So in the show notes, I have listed out the five markers of metabolic health. So should you wish to go and check them out again, they're all there. And if you want to pass those on to friends and relatives, then do so at least maybe they'll start thinking about it so the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero seven seven it would be great if you could support us through patreon go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish Can you recommend a guest we can interview? 
If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>